Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It's been a pretty weird year as Liverpool fans after the highs of the title win last year, but securing top four on the final day of the season gave us something to smile about. Myself, Paddy and Max are here for our season reviews. Boys, how are we doing? Yeah, all good. Um, you know, thank God that's over for a start. Um, yeah, so look, can't complain about it at the moment, which is a bit of a difference to the last few podcasts I've done. So yeah, all good. Yeah, good. Um, the sun's shining. Liverpool got a top four finish. Euros are coming up. I yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And now get to have a lovely chat with you fellas. So yeah, can't complain at all. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about some of the highs and some of the lows of the season. But we'll start by talking about some of the winners and losers of the last year from a Liverpool perspective. And we'll start with the winners. And I think there's only one place to start, really, guys. And that is with our top scorer again, Mo Salah. Another top scoring season from the Egyptian um, with our front three dropping off quite considerably compared to the Premier League winning year last season. God only knows where we'd be without him. Yeah, he's just, he's absolutely ruthless and he he has been ever since he's come to the club and he's just continued it again last season. Um, Look, as you say, I don't know where we'd be without him. Um, Yeah, was it 22 goals, five assists? you know, three clear of the, or is it four clear, I think, of the, the third highest scorer in the league, which is Bruno Fernandes. Yeah. Um, he's, he's simply world-class. There's there's nothing else you can say, really. Okay, look, he might be the most easy on the eye at times, but he's just, he's a stone-cold killer in front of goal. And and he's just that that kind of person that you need at all the big clubs. Whereas, you know, if, you're, if your spine is solid, if your defensive solid, once more salads in the team, you're going to get a few goals. So, yeah, he's had another outstanding season and the fact he hasn't been nominated for PFA Player of the Year is an absolute joke, to be honest, and and Phil Foden has been. But uh, that's probably an argument for another day with a few City fans. But, um, yeah, look, it is what it is. Salah's he's world-class and I'm sure he'll come again next season with more of the same. Yeah, he... I think Salah has got to be, if I'm thinking about this, the only player who you could say wasn't really overly affected by what was going on with the rest of the team. Like he's always been a bit patchy. Um and he had that rough patch when everyone else had a real rough patch and we lost six games. But he will get you 20 goals at the end of the league season. He just will. And there are only, you know, probably about a dozen players in the world who you can say there are many who can score 20 goals in a season. But for someone to categorically say, this guy will get you 20 goals a season like clockwork, there are only a handful of players in the world who can do that. And to have one of them at Liverpool, especially one as versatile as Salah, whether he's playing as a point striker or a right winger, is just absolutely fantastic. And I agree with Paddy. Um, the fact he wasn't nominated for PFA Player of the Year um, is... Um, a bit silly at best, but yeah, he's just a fabulous, fabulous player. And he he is the real catalyst that we had. Um, his signing to sort of embark on our on our trip to glory. Yeah, and it's really like you say, Max, really invaluable to have a guy who you can guarantee is gonna get those goals. Um, I think it's only the first I think 
his first year at the club, 17-18, was the only year he was nominated for PFA Player of the Year, which seems mental when you consider how kind of integral he's been to this, this Liverpool team over the last two or three seasons. Like I said, with Mane and Firmino significantly dropping off, seems silly questions asked, but just how important was it that he still was kind of chipping away and getting those important goals, particularly as we got to the business end of the season? Yeah, I mean, if Salah wasn't in the team, we probably would have come mid-table at best. So I think it's obvious, really, that um, he was our most important player this season. Um, I think nobody even came close to him in terms of, of that particular one, but maybe Fabinho was probably next best. But I think when Mane and Firmino were so off-form and when they were, their confidence was so low, it was important having that, you know, that uber-confident Salah in the team who, you know, nothing really is going to get him down. So... Yeah, he's vital. I think that's something, um, his availability when Mane and Firmino were having um, very well-documented, horrible, horrible times um, in front of goal. He doesn't get injured, Sour, touch wood. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's always available. Like Sergio Aguero, for example, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant footballer, but you always knew he would be out for at least six weeks a season. He would always pick something up and that really hurt City on a few occasions. Whereas Salah, I can't remember any absence of his longer than a couple of weeks here and there. He is just so physically reliable and able to just keep going even in the face of unbelievable adversity. Um, and he, sh- he shows up when his team needs him to consistently. And to have that quality, not just in any player, but in your best forward is just completely invaluable to any team. Yeah, I think the only absence I can remember off the top of my head is when he had COVID at, at near the start of the season. But yeah, like, like you say, he's, he's really, he keeps himself in really good nick as well, which is... Probably something that's undervalued um, in, in the modern game. But another guy who's had, I guess it's kind of hard to say a winning season, but a good season was, I think, is Curtis Jones. Um, is his breakthrough season for the club, 34 appearances in all competitions. So far and away, his biggest contribution. He's probably played a little more than Klopp would have liked with the various injuries that we had throughout the season, which meant certain midfielders ended up at centre-back. How did you guys view Curtis this season? Do you think it's promising and there's definitely something to build on there going into next year, especially with Vinaldon leaving? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a breakout campaign for him. Um, I think the biggest compliment you can, you can give him is probably, you know, you don't bat an eyelid when you see him in the starting team anymore. I think when he started his first few games, you were kind of like, okay, let's see how this goes. But now, for especially, you know, when we were getting to that period of the season, it was just Vinaldon, Thiago and, and Kurt was playing every basically every minute of every game we were just kind of like that's that's fine I mean he's perfectly capable of doing a, 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 a you know a reasonable job at, at the worst there um I think maybe he's restricted his own game a little bit he probably isn't as instinctive as he was when he first kind of came through um but you know that's because he's focused on getting his defensive position and like basically spot on he's, he's never really caught out of position he's always in the right place at the right time so I think if he can you know add a bit more of his own personal attributes, like his close control, I think is probably the best at the club, to be honest, which I think his touch is outstanding. Um, so if he can just kind of develop that a little bit more, get a bit more drive into midfield, get a few more shots off and, you know, retain that kind of 
defensive positioning um, attribute that I that I mentioned. I think he'll be a, a top top player, and I think he is underrated by many outside of Liverpool as well. I think Thiago might disagree with you on the uh, best Sorry. first touch yeah. and dribbling. <laughs> but yeah, no, you have I, a point there. You have a point. <laughs> but um, but I agree with you. He um, uh, he's a very very technically proficient um, midfielder, which we're starting to see a lot of uh, in English ranks at the moment. Um, from the sort of old box to box players, we're starting to get really good technical players, and Curtis Jones is one of them. I think he sometimes has a little bit too much faith in his technical ability. He does have a bit of a tendency, um, we saw it in the Champions League, to hold on to the ball a little bit too long. Um, Emre Chan um, disease is what I, is what <laughs> I call it. Um, but no, he for a guy his age to be thrown into the circumstances that he did or had been, um, he did fantastically well. Um, is he going to break up a starting midfield trio of Thiago, Henderson and Fabinho next season? Probably not. But is he a player who we could realistically bring on to change a game and exhibit some of those creative passing um, abilities that he has? Absolutely. And also what he brings, which we don't really have since Coutinho left, is a threat from range. He has got a fantastic strike from the edge of the box in him. And to bring someone with that sort of threat on uh, late in games would be absolutely brilliant. And I don't see why uh, he couldn't be a starter for Liverpool in the next couple of years. Do you guys think that given his performances this season and the promise he's shown that he's maybe convinced Klopp that he doesn't need to go out into the transfer market and buy, for example, a Basuma or someone to replace Wijnaldum and that maybe we can use our transfer budget this summer in other areas because Jones has got the ability to kind of step up again into a more prominent role in Liverpool's midfield? Um, yeah, look, I, I do think he can play a more prominent role, but at the same time, Jones was the Lallana replacement last year, so he can't really be the Wijnaldum replacement as well. I think, you know, considering he played so much this season, you're going to need somebody to take the minutes that, you know, Wijnaldum was playing um, because we just I suppose we're light on centre midfielders really because when you consider Chamberlain and Keita they're both so injury prone you can nearly rule them out for a few months each um, at some stage so I do think we're going to need a few extra bodies in there but yeah I definitely think that you know Curtis can I suppose be fifth choice rather than seventh choice if you get me that sort of way I think, yeah, that's that's an issue. I, I think it's a compliment to Jones that the reason that I'm worried about Liverpool's midfield death has got absolutely nothing to do with him. Um, I mean, Henderson, to Thiago and Fabinho is a world-class midfield three. But beyond him, you've got Naby Keita, who is very talented, clearly, but can't stay fit and at this point is just losing value every season. We have Oxlade Chamberlain, who brilliant as he was before he first, sorry, not before, after he broke into the Liverpool first team in his first season, um, just can't stay fit either. And Curtis Jones, who is a really talented young player, but it's not fair to ask him to be the man to come in when the midfield isn't working. And uh, James Milner, who, despite being the energizer bunny of the human race, um, uh, he's not getting any younger and should not be one of the first options to call upon. A midfielder is definitely needed, but it's not because Curtis Jones isn't good enough. 
And just finally, in the winners category of the of the show, I think we've got to give our props to Jurgen, haven't we? It's been a really tough year for him, both off the pitch with what happened to his mother, and then obviously on the pitch, things kind of fell off a cliff after Christmas. But he stuck, you know, he kept the faith. He stuck with the boys, and and he was saying all the right things in the media. And bar a few prickly moments, which I think you can understand, I think he's probably shown his brilliance again in terms of his management ability, which people may have been questioning um, around January, February time. Yeah, I think the, the finish of the season just showed exactly that. I mean, again, it's a huge compliment to him that he managed to get so many clean sheets from Nat Phillips and Reese Williams because that's, you know, close to a miracle, really. Um, look, let's call it a spade a spade. He did have his bad moments where people... I. I in particular was thinking like, what are you doing here? Like playing, you know, our strongest team available basically against Aston Villa's under 18s, playing a strong side against Michelin, which costs us, you know, heavily, I suppose, in the form of Diogo Jota's injury, which in turn put no pressure on Mane and Firmino to perform and, and um, you know, obviously made top four a much bigger challenge than it should have been. But yeah, look, the way we finished the season, the way he got things back on the road, having dealt with the, you know, the loss of his mother. And that was something as well that I don't think the media really appreciated half enough because he was going through that for, I think, a month or more without anybody even knowing he was going through it. So um, I think, yeah, look, he, he came through a lot and he came out the other end of it and he just proved that, you know, he's the best manager in the world. So, yeah, I think you have to give all, all props to Jurgen for that. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he wasn't infallible throughout the season. Um, as it turned out, Fabinho at centre half was not, despite you know it looking like the obvious choice didn't um, didn't work out too well. But he, do you know what he did? He learned from a mistake and he rectified it. And if and if not for that decision to have faith in a young pair of centre backs and move Firmino into midfield, we don't get top four. We probably don't sign Ibrahim Kanate for £36 million um, pounds reported up front. That probably doesn't happen. So for Jurgen Klopp to finish third with how, how much happened to him, how much happened to the squad, how much happened to his goalkeeper as well, Alisson's father dying, I mean, it was an incredible achievement. Yeah, it was definitely a massive achievement. I think Klopp's kind of said that himself in recent weeks. He said it's one of his one of his biggest achievements when you consider what he's won here and, and in Germany. Um, that just shows you ex- the kind of challenge that we faced this year and how we, we managed to overcome it in the end. Um, moving on to the losers of the season, I think there's only one place to start, and that was with the European Super League, which FSG were heavily involved in the creation and then very quick demise of. We've had a lot of time talking about this on the show we dedicated an entire podcast to it um at one stage but now that the dust has settled on it can we just look back at it as a bad memory or do we still need to keep the pressure on fsg in terms of making sure that fans have more of a say in the club and the club is heading in a direction that is healthy both on the pitch and off the pitch yeah i mean hopefully it's going to be a, i suppose blessing in disguise really in that this will be the, the thing that leads to fans getting more say in, in I suppose, boardroom meetings and things like that. Um, you look, in terms of the, the actual Super League itself, it's not exactly gone away because, you know, Real Madrid, Barca and Juventus are still kind of pushing first, but hopefully, you know, the English teams will, will kind of, 
they've they've seen what's happened with the first time around, so they won't be too keen to join up again. Um, so hopefully it stays in the past and it doesn't come back anytime soon. But I think the only issue is now that fans kind of need to continue to unite and try to get rid of this new awful really Champions League format that, that UEFA brought about because um, the Super League kind of has acted as a small screen for that. So I think that needs to be dealt with as well in the in the not too distant future. Um, you know, if the feelings are mutual with, with everybody else. Yeah. Um I think the um the situation with FSG is complicated because as I've said on previous podcasts, the uh, the the kind of owner that Liverpool fans want at the club, someone who's got deeper pockets than anyone else who's ready to splash money on Haaland and Bappe, um, <laughs> screw it, Messi, um, or whoever, and is also altruistic and goes with club's values and listens to the fans. That owner doesn't exist. That owner is in a fantasy world somewhere. And FSG are just a symptom of where football ownership is at at this point. They're not the worst in the world by any means. Like, they're not great, but they're not the worst. And then we have um, the question of the Super League. I agree with Paddy. The momentum needs to be kept going to abolish this ridiculous change to the Champions League format that was brilliant to begin with. Um, But unfortunately, um, (laughs) I have found a way to be negative. Um, Unfortunately, I think the moment's passed it's not often that when you get a huge movement of people against a single issue and they get rid of it, that that movement can keep going and have the legs to produce a similar seismic change. I just, people are happy they won against the Super League. Like the celebration afterward was amazing. I was happy about it as well, but that celebration, I think, has gotten in the way of fans realising that (laughs) getting rid of the Super League is exactly what the people at UEFA wanted. They they wanted their own little power vacuum to be kept in place, and now they can just build on it and say, yeah, we're not the Super League, but the Champions League is going to very quickly become just Super League lies, I think, and that's that's what we need to be wary of. But unfortunately, I think it's coming. Yeah, particularly with the teams that, with the new proposed format that can qualify via their coefficient ranking opposed to basically league league form and league position. It's obviously got parallels there. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that one. Um, in terms of on-the-pitch matters, I guess the biggest losers this season have been all of Liverpool centre-backs, Barnett, Phillips and Reese williams um, Obviously, Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez and Joel Matip all were ruled out for the season fairly early on and it obviously had a massive, massive impact on how Liverpool season looked from there on in. Looking back, could could we just even say that that Virgil van Dijk injury at Goodison Park in October, that was the moment the title went, let alone what happened to Gomez and Matip after it? Um, you could say that, but I actually think that Gomez's injury at that England training camp, whatever happened, which I hope comes out someday because it's a bit dodgy if you ask me the way that there's no information at all really came out. Um, definitely Raheem Sterling, I'm looking at you in particular, but uh, we'll move on. But no, I actually think that, you know, 
okay, it would have been unrealistic to keep Joel Matip fit for the whole season. But if Gomez didn't pick up that injury and we had Joe Gomez plus one of Matip, Fabinho, Henderson, even Phillips and Williams playing beside him, I think we could have made a bit of a charge to the title, I think. Um, look, it was unprecedented that all three of our centre-halves would be injured, especially, I suppose, this is probably the first time in probably Liverpool's history where we've entered a season with just three centre-halves as well. So, like, look, what are the chances of all that happening? Um, and then, I suppose, the two centre-backs that you signed to cover them in January also getting injured. The two midfielders that you drop back to to cover them getting injured as well, um. But yeah, look as you say, Luke and look Phillips and Williams, they, they just got us over the line in the finish. Uh, luckily, Big Nat is you know the Terminator and doesn't feel pain, so um we got through it eventually. Um, so hopefully we we'll get the the tree back next season along with Ibu Kanate, and um we'll you know put this on the back burner and never have to think about it again. Yeah, um, I've got to say I was happy to see the back of Dan Lovren when um, when he left. I, I just thought he was too much reliability um, and gave away some really, really, really stupid goals on many an occasion. Um, the fact that he was consistently bossed by Yannick Balassi whenever he played against him is not a great indicator. Um, but Liverpool rolled the dice. And Fabinho playing well at centre-half once or twice when he was called upon, but not consistently, should not have been a basis to go into the season and say, you know, it, like if we lose our centre-backs or even two centre-backs, we can play with this guy for a month or two because it ruined our midfield balance as well. We rolled the dice and we got very unlucky. But, yeah, I mean, it was amazing how costly that Everton game was at Goodison Park. Like, losing Thiago, who was absolutely exceptional against Everton and against Chelsea um, before that, and losing Van Dijk and losing those points as well in such controversial fashion. It was just such a... It was just such a, a huge mental blow, not just for the fans, but I'm sure for the players. And so from one of the lowest moments, we'll go to one of the highest, and we've got picked out a few memorable moments of the season that we'll just go through and I'll ask you guys to pick your favourite. And we'll start with the one that I presume that all of us will be choosing. Alison Becker's goal against West Brom, last minute at the Hawthorns. Need a win to keep top four hopes alive, really, at that stage. Although, obviously, I think a draw would have been enough in hindsight now. But at that stage, it really did think it's win or bust. Just how brilliant was it to see him... Again, he's had his off-the-field problems with an absolute tragedy in his family and his personal life. And then he comes up and he, and he nods one in in one of the biggest games of the season. Look, you couldn't write it. I mean, I still don't believe it actually happened because um, I had accepted that we were going to be playing Europa League next season with 10 minutes to go in that game. I, was, I comes to terms with it and I, I was okay with it. But uh, look, I mean, what can you even say? Like, the amount Alisson has come up for a fair few corners in his time and nothing has ever come from it. So when I saw him coming up that against West Brom, I was thinking, like, what is even the point? Um <laughs> I was, you know, showing a bit of a defeatist attitude, I suppose. But look, like especially against the Sam Allardyce team, you're expecting, you know, their defense and set pieces to be so spot on and to just leave them unmarked the way they did. And for him to, oh, I mean, the header it was such a deft header into the far post. Was, oh, look. 
unbelievable. And yeah, obviously it's the moment of the season. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I can't remember a moment like a spontaneous moment like that that sent me as mad as a Liverpool fan um, for a long, long time. I mean, as I've told you guys before, my reaction to that goal was to pick up my housemate, put him over my shoulder and do multiple laps of the living room, screaming my head off. I mean, like a moment like that is just so unforgettable. I will never forget that moment. And that big, beautiful, bearded bastard came up to that corner. And it was just such a, it was such a weirdly wholesome moment. Like for, it wasn't Salah, it wasn't the usual heroes to, um, to you know, bring Liverpool back from the death. This was such a unique story in the pantheon of like comeback stories for Liverpool. Like it wasn't a, 3-3 against AC Milan or, you know, Saint-Étienne or anything like that. It, it wasn't something so grand, but in its own way, it was it was almost as good because it was, you know, it was West Brom and the Hawthorns. It was a slog. It was Sam Allardyce doing what Sam Allardyce does, sucking all the life and fun out of football. Um, and Alison Becker broke that spell after everything that had happened to him throughout the season, having been through the awful loss of his father and having had every centre-back partnership that you could name in in Liverpool, even midfielders playing in front of him. And he came up and scored the goal. I do not believe, despite our points total saying we would have, I don't believe we would have finished top four if we drew that game, even with the results um, of the other teams panning out the way they did. That would have given them such a mental boost to go and get that top four and not waste that moment. And I'm just so happy we didn't. And that has got to be the moment of the season. Yeah, I think it just shows how well loved he was in the squad as well. Like how all the players, both on the pitch and off the pitch. So obviously we had that great moment just about him as a guy and him as a person. If I just take you back to just before Christmas Christmas in December, Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 7-0 at Selhouse Park. And at the time, I think we were thinking, don't need Virgil. I'm going to win this title absolutely easily. And then Christmas happened and it all fell apart. But at that moment, it was such a great performance. Taki Minamino even got on the score sheet. Like, it really looked like we still had that mental- mentality monsters kind of ethos in and around the squad. At that point, did you think, you know, we, we can still do this with or without Verge? Yeah, 100%. I think that, you know, we'd, we'd suffered a few draws and Van Dijk and Gomez's injuries, but... I think that kind of did regain my confidence of winning the league. Um, you know, Matip and Naby Keita were fit. We had Thiago and Jota to welcome back in the next few weeks. Um, I was also fairly confident we'd sign up, you know, a top-level centre-back in January to cover the loss of, of Virgil and, and Gomez as well. Um, as you say, Minamino looked like he could even push on and be a serviceable squad player. Bobby and Mane were on fire. I mean, everything was, was looking rosy enough. Um, but yeah, look, I think most of my confidence came from the fact that Joel Matty was fit, which I should have never have really let myself do because that was never gonna gonna stay the same. Um, and look, as you know, we got injured in the next game and we drew it home to West Brom, so it was back to square one again. But yeah, I suppose it, that was nearly easier to to tell without the benefit of hindsight. But that was a, a great moment at the time, whereas it didn't amount to much for now. Well, I suppose it did in terms of it kept our goal difference high and, and that contributed to getting top four as well. But um, yeah, at the time it felt like a much bigger deal than it does now. 
as the old saying goes, never put your trust in a man who is made of quavers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Matt, it, Matt it being fit is never something you can rely on, unfortunately. Excellent defender as he is. Um, I'm not sure I thought we were going to win the title at that point. I just thought there's too much ahead of us to um, go with that. And I am a natural pessimist when it comes to football. So, um, you know uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure I thought we were going to win the title. I thought we'd walk top four at that point, which um, I was wrong about. I, I wasn't pessimistic enough. I will try harder in the future. Um, uh, but, no, I, it was a great moment. Um Salah scored his customary outside of the box, cutting in from the right on his left foot, banger for the season. Um, Minamino looked good. Mane looked good. Um, Bobby looked good. Robertson had a brilliant game that day, I remember. Um, yeah. And I remember sitting down and, in, and watching it all over pizza, and I was just like, this, this is what dreams are made of. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, <laughs> it mostly all went downhill from there. Um, but it was, you know, it was a great day, and it was it was one of the very few days this season. I would say that the Chelsea game um, uh, where we beat them at Stamford Bridge, um, and the Spurs match at Anfield, where it felt like the Liverpool of the last two years, the team that could win a title. Um, that didn't that it didn't feel like that for many games this uh, this season gone, but it, it felt like it at that point. You mentioned that Spurs win with the last-minute Bobby Firmino header. Um, that's what I've got on my list to talk about next. A couple of another memorable moment is having fans back in Anfield because on that day, fans were back in a Liverpool winning goal in the last minute. It just felt like everything was going swimmingly, and then obviously in the last game against Crystal Palace, the two-nil win to secure top four. We had fans back in again, which was great to see, um, and hopefully, fingers crossed. Now we'll never have another game at Anfield without fans in if you know everything goes to plan with, with with the pandemic. So just how excited are we to have fans back in Anfield next season? Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't know what you're missing until it's gone. And I think this is the biggest example of that that you can imagine, really. Um, look, the whole thing could be a blessing in disguise in one way is you know, we'll we'll appreciate having the fans, the amazing fans that we have all the more when, when they're back and you know, Anfield is full to, to full capacity again. I mean, you know, hearing that first you'll never walk alone back at Christmas was it was special, I think, really, for a lot of people. Um, after coming through such a difficult time and like like you know, the whole world is done. Um, you know, Bobby Firmino being Bobby Firmino that we all know and love and you know, feeding off that atmosphere and, and you know, probably playing three times as well as he's played all season. Um, and then last week as well, getting, I think, was it, was it 5,000 last week or 10,000? Um, you know, it, it nearly felt like the stadium was full again. So I think here an actual chance rather than Sky Sports's dodgy crowd noises of just whatever that is. It's just noise. It doesn't even sound like a crowd, but it's so much better and it makes the, the viewing experience so much better as well. So, hope, you know, hopefully we'll be in the middle of it soon enough rather than watching on the telly. But, um, yeah, look, it's it's makes you appreciate it all the more. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure Bobby scores that goal um, if fans aren't in the stadium. And he, for all the criticism that he gets, and rightfully so on some occasions with his finishing, 
you can tell he loves the club. He loves playing at Anfield and he loves playing in front of fans and he loves entertaining them with his little drag backs and his little heel flicks and stuff like that. And yeah, the way the way he reacted after scoring that and the way that the fans reacted was just, it, it was such a, a short but sweet return to what football should feel like, what it should be like. Um, you know, watching the play, like, you know, I don't really buy to that much of an extent the claims that without fans, the quality of football dropped too much. Um, I think there were still players doing amazing things. Um, the good teams were mostly still pretty good, apart from, in our case, for um, a fair bit of the season. But I do think the essence of football was missing so much of football is about the memories that you make through the game and the memories that being in that stadium will hold for you i mean some of the some of the best memories i have are being in a in a football stadium watching my team and celebrating and and everything to do with that and if football isn't a game about fans and about passionate about our love for the sport then what's the point of it then it's just watching 11 dudes in most cases for a lot of Liverpool fans thousands of miles away just kicking a ball about on a field but it's the fans that make it more than that and that game those fans being there they made it more than that and yeah it was just that culmination of a last minute winner under the lights at Anfield in front of fans it was one of the truly, truly great moments of um, of Liverpool season. Yeah, completely agree, mate. Well said. And I think going forward as well, we've got some new players that haven't played in front of the Anfield crowd all that much, who we're going to talk about now. We'll just kind of a little chat about some of the new signings that Liverpool have had this season. Um, we'll start with the biggest name, Thiago Alcantara. Obviously, his season was a little bit disrupted he missed a quite a large section in the middle and when he did get in the team there was often some criticism that he didn't suit a Liverpool midfield but in the last four or five games I think he really started to show what he is capable of and next season Paddy do you expect him to to demonstrate that even more with a more settled midfield trio alongside him yeah 100% to me what an absolute baller um Look, I think I could probably talk all day about Thiago, to be honest, which I love him. But I think when he was signed, everybody kind of misinterpreted him, misinterpreted him as, I suppose, a kind of a silky midfielder who's going to be kind of soft, I think. But in reality, he's, you know, he's hard as nails. He puts in more tackles than anybody else in the squad. Um, and he doesn't actually create a whole pile, which many people probably thought he was going to do, you know, get loads of assists and, and, and goals and stuff. But um Look, I mean, those first two games, as Max referred to earlier on, he was sensational. I think he came on at halftime against Chelsea after being at the club, hardly being there a wet week, and he absolutely ran the show. One played him off the park, we won 2 0. Then, same thing at Everton, and then, you know, Richarlison came along and, and that kind of set him back a fair bit. Then, by the time he did come back from that injury, I think the, you know, the team was in free fall, the midfield was all over the place. I don't think Klopp really knew what to do with him, I think is fair to say. Um, look, I, I mean, I don't think he was ever poor in any of those games because like, he still showed these, I suppose, moments of just brilliance where you're just looking at him like, how did you do that? But um, he, he just couldn't really help the team actually win the games, which is, I suppose, what all 11 players are there to do. 
And yeah, as you say, it was only in the last month or so where he kind of showed his best form with Fabinho alongside him. Um, yeah, so next season, I think Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago is for me the best midfield three in the world if they're all fit and, and at their best. Um, so yeah, I think having Fabinho there is the key to, to unlocking him really. So I think if he continues in this kind of six, eight kind of hybrid role that he's, he's he, that's where he's at his best. So if he continues there going forward, I think we're going to see lots more of, you know, the world-class midfielder that he is. Yeah, I... I... I haven't been as excited about uh, signing as I was about Thiago, apart from maybe Van Dijk. But even then, I don't think I was to the same extent because Thiago at Bayern was just such a... um, He was just such an impressive player, someone who could just beat a press with that lovely little shimmy that he does. Um, (laughs) <laughs> to um, move away from players. And we've seen it more and more in the last few weeks as his confidence has grown. Um, and his passing range is, aside from Kevin De Bruyne and um, Trent, I don't think there's a player in the team who can match him for passing. Even Trent is probably not quite at his level um, for passing range. And what he does... And anyone who wants to see the perfect example of this, watch um, Bayern Munich's winning goal in the Champions League final against Paris Saint-Germain. Watch Thiago. He knows how to play the pass before the assist. He will always be able to find a player in space and break two, three lines of players if need be. He's not someone who's going to score loads of goals. Never has been. He's not someone who's going to get loads of assists. Never has been. Do you know who else never got loads of goals and assists? Xavi. And I'm not saying that Thiago is as good as Xavi was. He, he's not, unfortunately. My God, I wish he was. Um, but he, yeah, I, Liverpool fans are in for a treat when they watch him play live, the way that he reads space, the way he he understands how to pass a ball. He, not just getting it to the his teammate, but watching what foot they want it on, what their movement is, whether they want it fizzed in hard or whether they want it floated in so it's easier to control. He is such an intelligent footballer. And the benefit is there were people talking about his age, but he's not a footballer who is dominated by his physical attributes he's not fast he's not strong he's not tall he's smart and players like that I mean look at Andrea Pirlo he 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 was all of those things he wasn't fast strong or tall or anything like that but even in his mid to late 30s he was still one of the best midfielders on the planet I think Thiago has got every chance of having a similar impact at Liverpool going forward that Pirlo did at Juventus yeah, I think next season we'll, we'll definitely see the best of him. And another man who had a pretty big impact at Liverpool this season before injuries kind of got in the way was Diogo Jota. Um, at one stage, it looked like every time he was going to play, he was going he was going to score. He had a real purple patch, didn't he? Just before he got that big injury in that Champions League game that we discussed earlier. Um, how big a difference does it make, guys, to have a player like Jota who, if one of the front three isn't performing? He almost slots straight in and performs to the same level and, you know, scored a hell of a lot of goals this season for a, for a new signing. Yeah, I'm about 99.9% sure he's going to be an absolute superstar. 
Um, look, he's the exact kind of signing that Liverpool are, you know, experts at making. They're, I suppose, well-known and fairly highly rated Premier League player, but, you know, it's only really the, I suppose, the, the guys, the stats men, the, the people who look at the in-depth numbers are really going to predict him being a top-class player, which is, you know, I think it's fair to say he's had a top-class season for Liverpool, the injury aside. Um, yeah, he had the little blip there for the last month or so, but that was always going to happen when he had such a fast start. Um, but yeah, I think whether he settles as striker or left winger in the long term, I think he's going to be world-class for years to come. Um, yeah, look, as I say, it's Jurgen Klopp and Michael Edwards are talking about. I mean, nobody should have ever doubted that he was going to be a really, really good player. I think that what people found weird was the the difference between the profile um, in terms of public perception between himself and Timo Werner. Timo Werner was the hipsters footballer, like, you know, playing at RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga, really, really pacey, scored loads. Of, like, I was keeping up with Robert Lewandowski in terms of goals, and he was the superstar forward that people wanted at Liverpool. And people and, and then Diogo Jota, who wasn't getting into the Wolves team at one point, is the guy who comes in instead. And people were just... It felt like, it, like I'm I'm not too proud to admit, it felt like a bit of a letdown, to be perfectly honest. And then he just came in, and I think my favourite thing, I like a lot of things about Diogo Jota, but my favourite thing about Jota is he isn't shy to shoot. So many times this season, particularly Mane and Firmino, have just been passing it between them, basically just trying their absolute best not to shoot. Um, whereas Jota, he gets space in the box, bang, he shoots, and he shoots fast. He, When he shoots, it's a real snapshot, and it's hard and it's low into the corner. He doesn't do arcing shots from the edge of the box that go into the top corner. His shots aren't spectacular, but they're accurate, and they make the keeper work, and he, he hits the target. And that that's something that is so underrated as a quality in a striker that that they know when to shoot and they know where to shoot more than that. You like Harry Kane is is brilliant at that. He he'll always hit the target when he shoots, and just, like even if you don't score, hitting the target can cause absolute chaos in the box. Keeper makes a save, it rolls out and can be hitting on the rebound. You can win a second ball. Like anything can happen if you get it close to the target. And Jota understands that and. We talk about Mo Salah's goals being crucial for top four. Diogo Jota's goals were every bit as crucial, I think, um, coming in. And also, he is going to be the first member of the new front three because, unfortunately, our front three aren't getting any younger. And I think we are slowly but surely going to see a new front three come in. And I think he is the first piece of that puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. I think... His, like you say, his age, is he, what, 23, 24? He could be at Liverpool for the best part, you know, of 10, 10, 5 to 10 years, realistically, if he continues at the same trajectory. So it'd be really interesting to see and exciting to see what, what he can do next season as well. Um, Ozan Kabak is a guy who, sadly, I don't think got to play in front of a crowd at Anfield in his short time at the club. He came in on loan from Schalke during the centre-back kind of injury crisis and at the last three or four games of the season was sadly injured. So Phillips and Reese Williams were obviously the, the guys that got us over the line. Um, 
I don't think we can give him enough credit really for how well he came in. He kind of got the club pretty much straight the way I, I gathered from the way he spoke in interviews and the way we saw him on social media. He seemed to align really well with the squad. There was lots of videos of him kind of you know joking around with the lads, which isn't an easy thing to do when you start a new team. Um, are we a bit sad to see that he's probably not going to be made permanent signing for Liverpool with Canate coming in? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd have probably kept him. Um, look, if it's a case of spending 18 million on Quebec or putting 18 million towards the striker or midfielder, then yeah, fair enough. I can see why you, you'd um you'd hold off. But I think he is going to be a really, really good player. I think whoever gets him is going to get a you know a bit of a bargain. Um, you know, I can definitely see him replacing Canate at RB Leipzig and probably being sold for 60, 70 million pounds in two years' time to Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man City, whoever it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I will be sad to see him go. I think he had a little bit of a shaky start, but, you know, his his game against Leicester wasn't great. Um, but then he, he built on that and he, you know, he looked he looked like, he, I'll tell you why, he didn't look like a 20-year-old playing centre-back, I'll tell you that. He, um, he looked far more mature than that. And, uh, you know, he has everything really, his power, pace, whatever you want for a centre-back, he has it. So, yeah, I think he's definitely one to watch out for in years to come and he'll be making our, you know, ex-Liverpool 11s for, for the next decade or so. Yeah, um, it was a shame to see Kabak go after such a brief exposure to him. Um, he, he, while he is athletic, he's not quite, I just, I can understand the club deciding not to keep him. As, as I've said before on podcasts, like if, if it's a case of getting eighteen million pounds to sign him as a fifth choice centre back, um, or spending that eighteen million pounds on helping to replace uh, Ginny Wijnaldum, or um, go towards a new foot um, forward footballer is also the case. <laughs> um, uh, then, yeah, I think it needs to be done. I agree with Paddy. Um, he will go somewhere, and I'm sure he will do very well. Um, he really, you could tell that he was very proud to be playing for Liverpool. And as Paddy said, he didn't look like a 20 year old at the back. And he certainly didn't look like a 20 year old who is probably the most experienced, well, not even probably, he was the most experienced centre half playing at the club when. Um, uh, when everyone was injured, and it was him and Nat Phillips and Reese Williams doing their thing, um, yeah, I I will be sad to see him go. Despite the practicality, obviously, um, leaning towards the fact he should, um, and I think I would join most Liverpool fans in wishing him well wherever he goes and asking him, please don't go to Manchester City or Manchester United. Well, who knows? Maybe in you know three or four years. He'll come back to Liverpool. That's that's my little kind of dream that he'll go away to Leipzig or somewhere else in Germany or wherever for a year or two, and then a space will open up inevitably when Matip goes or something, and maybe he'll come back. So we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Maybe he will get to play at Anfield again in a red shirt. Um, and our final signing, probably is one that you may have forgotten about, is Kostas Timiskis, the Greek left back who was also brought in as a second choice for Andy Robertson but barely played any football, really. He had his own injury struggles as well, which kind of shows you what happened with Liverpool and the injury front this season. Do we expect him to maybe get a bit more game time with a more settled back four next season? I think Klopp was probably reluctant to start chopping and changing the fullbacks when we had so much disruption at centre-half. 
yeah, like any football next season is going to be more than he got this year. So, um, yeah, I think he will play more. Um, look, Jurgen Klopp is never, ever in a million years going to play a back four of Trent, Nat Phillips, Reese Williams and Costa Simicas in a must-win game, especially not when Robertson was fit and even James Milner was probably next in line to play left back if, if something did happen to him. Um, but yeah, I think next season he will be playing much more regularly. I think he can be thrown in for games here and there alongside, you know, Van Dyke and Gomez or Kanata, whoever it is, with very little issues. Um, look, like, for example, if we have two games in a week, we might see him play one game to give Robertson a rest, then maybe Nico Williams plays the other to give Trent a rest. Um, you know, so a bit of chopping and changing, but the team will still be strong. Because um, that is, you know, at the end of the day, what he was brought in to do, because we could see by the time it got to February, March, Andy Robbo was burnt out because um, he had a fantastic start to the season. I think the first three or four months, he was far and away the best left back in the league, but he's been a shell of himself recently. So I think he does need the breaks that having Costa Simicast in the squad will, will give him the benefit of. Yeah, it was a, it's been a strange signing. Like, he almost, he, even the circumstances of his signing were weird because everything was pointing at Jamal Lewis. Um, who's now gone on to Newcastle United, and I've barely seen him um, in his time at the Magpies. Um, and Simicast has pulled a similar disappearing act. Um, he, yeah, I, I, the appearances he made, I thought he was okay. I think he was a bit suspect defensively um, a few times when I did see him, but he's, he's clearly a half-decent player. Um I think we will see him a lot more next season. I think the cup runs um, will be very exclusively Costa Simicast territory. Um, maybe the odd Premier League game if we've got a big Champions League um, game coming up. But yeah, I mean, you can't exactly call the signing a success at this point <laughs> because he hasn't played. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope that we see a bit more of him next season. I hope that Robbo can put his feet up because... Whilst he is incredibly fit, I think asking him to play virtually every single game of the season, especially with his very high-energy playing style, is asking for trouble. And the fact that he didn't get injured much this season, at least, is <laughs> unbelievable, frankly. Yeah, and especially with Robbo going to the Euros as well, you know, he's not going to have as much of a break in the summer. Maybe some of those early Premier League games, we might see a bit more, more of Costas. Um that's kind of brought us to the end of our review of the season show. But before we go, we'll just ask you guys your final thoughts on the season. Obviously, it was a bit of a roller coaster season. Um, you know, we had a lot of lows in the middle, but it ended on a high. Is it just a matter of, right, we'll take that third place and we'll try and get some, some uh, people through the door in the summer and give a, a league title a real go next year again? Yeah, I think that's all you can say. Um, I don't think anybody expected that season we've just had. Um, I think we were probably a lot of people's favourites to win the league this season, but you know things happen and what can you do? But um, look, I still believe that our first choice 11 is probably the best in the world. If we can play that regularly, then I think we'll win trophies. But yeah, as you say, crucially, I do think that we will invest in the summer. Um, you know, we sign, even if it's a... Daniel Malin or Myron Boadu to, 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 I suppose, contribute and compete with the front three. I think that would be a good shove on. Look, if it, a miracle happens and they stump up the funds for Mbappe or Sancho, then even better again. But um, look, as long as we get a few more bodies to improve the squad and bulk up the squad. So even if, look, we all thought it was 
unlikely to happen last season, but if injuries do occur again, at least we're going to have better players there to be able to cope with it next season. So, um, look, I think this season is a bit of a write-off. So we can just forget about it now, move on, and try to get back to being the best club in the world again. It's hoping. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, this season's been odd. It's been really, really weird. Um, I, I don't think I've ever had a seat. Like, mostly with Liverpool in my lifetime, it's either been good in sparse years every now and then, and then a bit of consistency for the last couple of years, or it's been crap. But this season's been weird. It's been a very inconsistent, very up and down. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll remember this season. It's just being a very, very strange one. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget the Allison goal. And having that from this season makes it all worth it for me. Yeah, um, I agree. I think it's been a very weird one with COVID as well, not having fans in the stadium, as well as the madness we've seen on the pitch of the injuries and then some mad, brilliant moments like the Allison goal. Yeah, it's been very odd, but all we can do is hope that next season's better and the Reds can maybe get some more silverware in the cabinet. So Paddy, Max, thank you for your time this week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. As Always, it is a pleasure to have a chat with you, gentlemen, about um, about Liverpool, and hopefully we can see a title charge next season, and um, with a semi-fit squad or just a squad that isn't completely and utterly decimated by injuries. I'm sure we will. Yeah, fingers crossed, and we'll be back, of course, next season to preview all of the games. But we've also got some really exciting stuff coming up this summer with the Euros, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, you can check out all our content on anfieldcentral.co.uk and on our Twitter page at Anfield underscore central and all of our podcasts as well, which are on ACAS and Apple Pods. So why not go and listen to some of the old ones and we can think how bad things were and how good things are now. So yeah, you can go back and listen to those if you've got some time this summer as well. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>